This is Barons and Bond Podcast, episode 105, with your solo host, Corey Berenson. No Diego today, it's just going to be me and a bunch of adult stuff. Super boring adult speak about a follow-up for episode 79 from back in June 2021. So this, since then, is a massive amount of information. I'm going to do a giant brain dump. Because the amount of updates and the amount of ongoing updates that's happening is an immense amount of information. So I'm going to do my best to walk us all down a very long story, but it will bring an immense amount of clarity and open your eyes to what's actually happening with our government, especially specifically when it comes to digital assets. And for this follow-up, I'm going to walk us down memory lane and wonder, hey, if you are into cryptocurrencies or digital assets at all, you've probably heard of the top two assets, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And you might wonder, or maybe you've wondered, why? Why are those two the biggest and most expensive? What's the deal? There's more than 10,000, it might be 15,000 random tokens, most of which will for sure be gone. But let's go back to the top ones. So this follow-up is going to specifically cover the Securities and Exchange Commission case versus Ripple. Ripple is one I spoke about in 79, a little backstory in there if you want to go back there first. But today I'm going to specifically cover the lead up to why Ethereum is what it's worth, why it's part of the future, and how it got that clarity, and also why is Ripple being attacked. So let's go way back. Let's go back in the time machine. You remember, crypto's a scam. You're going to lose everything. It's useless. It's worthless. Literally, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, says it's for sex trafficking while he builds infrastructure starting in 2016. What were you doing in 2016? Were you building enterprise-grade infrastructure for blockchain for your institutional clients? Because I wasn't, but now we know. So we're going to go back and... Let's start with, what are we talking about? SEC versus Ripple. This is absolutely, the and caveat, if anybody follows this case or follows the XRP community or is following it at all, none of this is going to be news to you. I'm repeating a lot of things that we already know, but this is for anyone that has never heard of this case, does not follow any of this, And this is all new information. This is a big catch up for you. It is still ongoing, but it's important to go back and see and hear what's happening. So in my opinion and many's opinion, this this case that's happening right now is the biggest precedent setting case, which will definitely impact all of digital assets going forward. It will impact how the SEC or the CFTC regulates and runs and taxes these digital assets which are 1000 
billion percent part of the future, our future and our global future. So it's worth knowing what's going on. All right, so let's start with what happened. Where was I? I was quarantining with my family in a hotel that was almost absolutely empty. It was back in the day, Mar uh, December 2022-2020, the first year of the pandemic. We're in this empty hotel, so we can have a little getaway from our house that we had been quarantining in. It's where you sign up to get the swimming pool at the hotel completely to yourself in two-hour blocks. So I'm with my family, hanging out, having a great time. It's actually really beautiful time that we got to be together and we're choosing to be together by ourselves and take advantage of this closeness with my little kids and my wife and it's awesome. Finish swimming, everybody's tired. We get some food, we go back to the room. You know, I don't check my phone too much, but sure, let's check the phone and then boom. I see what just dropped. This is three days before Christmas, mind you. And here we go. December 22nd, 2020. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filed a lawsuit against cryptocurrency platform Ripple. Also against its CEO and its chairman for illegally selling unregistered securities worth $1.3 billion dollars. The SEC said Ripple illegally marketed XRP, which at the time was the world's third largest crypto, to retail customers. According to its complaint, Ripple's chairman, co-founder, and former CEO, Christian Larson, and the company's current CEO, Brad Garlinghouse, raised capital for the business through the sales of XRP in an unregistered securities offering. Now, that day was also the very last day of Chairman SEC Chairman Jay Clayton's uh, in office. I really messed that up. It was the, the SEC Chairman Jay Clayton's last day. He dropped the lawsuit. Boom. He's gone. Shortly right after, I mean very right after, he went to work immediately for a crypto firm. We'll get to that. Well, let's get to it now. It's called One River. And they previously that year put a billion dollars into a Bitcoin and Ethereum bet. They put that much into it. Drops a lawsuit. Goes there. And we'll get where we're going. So this suit got dropped. What do you think happened? The price tanked. Everybody dipped. The U.S. government attacks this company. Everybody just drops it. Boom. We're done. We can't fight the U.S. government. Everybody get out. A scary time. A weird time. It didn't make sense time because none of that was actually true. Ripple never had an ICO, which is an initial coin offering, to the public. That never happened. They didn't sell it to raise money for the company. So it was a straight up lie. So many of us in the community started tweeting and checking blogs and listening to YouTube and saying, who is doing what? I immediately went to 
the platform, the exchange where I had purchased XRP called Uphold, its CEO put out a statement in a podcast right away and said his team of lawyers reviewed the lawsuit and says in uh, so many words, have a very smart team of lawyers. They looked at it and said, they're wrong. So we're not going to delist it. It's clear. We're going to ride this out because they didn't do anything wrong. Everyone else, besides just a few exchanges, delisted it and stopped trading it out of fear that they would get in trouble from the SEC. Now, so the question is, why, 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 why would they do this? It's a big question. So the Ripple's defense attorney emphatically stated that XRP issuance was not a security sale. And it also notes that classifying it as one would impair its main utility. It would also mean thousands of exchanges, market makers, and other actors would be subject to complex legal processes. At the time, and even up to today, the SEC views all tokens other than Bitcoin and Ether as securities. They want control over all projects worldwide, as if the world needs to register with America. Sounds pretty American. But the U.S. doesn't own the world and cannot take jurisdiction over it as much as they really want to. Okay, so what is what is the XRPL, the XRP Ledger? It has over 150 validators worldwide, and the native token of the network is XRP. The XRPL uses consensus protocol in which designated servers called validators, they come to an agreement on the order of, of a transaction and the outcome of the transaction every three to five seconds, regardless of amount. This is important to know. Okay, so what designates a security? Okay, in the US, what designates a security? So there's a law. They accuse them of breaking the Howey test from 1946. It is a four-pronged test. And that's what the SEC has been claiming that proves it's a security. They state the below. And you can hear Chair SEC Chairman Gary Gensler babbling and bumbling over trying to say this is the case. And he stummer, stumbles and stammers all the time because he's lying. Okay, so the four prongs. Number one, an investment of money. Number two, a common enterprise. Number three, a reasonable expectation of profits for and those profits to be derived from the efforts of others. Now, let's look at the very specific definition actually published from the 1946 case. In its judgment, the court derives the definition as this. It's, a, it's just slightly different. The existence of an investment contract. Written investment contract. Formation of common enterprise. Promise of profits by the issuer. And the use of a third party to promote the offering. So someone else outside of the person 
creating the profits will promote the profits. This is also important. All of it's important. I'll stop saying that. So far, why why has the why the SEC has been proven wrong thus far? Well, there is no contract between secondary XRP market buyers and Ripple. There is no third-party promoter. There is something called Amicus Curiae, which stands for Friends of the Court. And this is crazy because the lawyer who sued right after the case was dropped, he sued the SEC back and filed to be added to the case as Amicus Curiae. Can I be a friend of the court? Can I... Hey, can I just say a couple things, please, on record? Will you let me in just to share some facts from the outside? The judge allowed it. He was allowed. And he wanted to be allowed to say, hey, I have some facts of why the XRPL, the whole ledger, they don't need Ripple. It can go on without it. Ripple can go away and disappear. It can vanish. It can go out of business. Guess what? The ledger continues. Since then, very recently, other amicus curiae have filed to also be, jo- be joined in the case as friends of the court. And those are companies that use XRP as a transactional thing, not to hold it for money or for future profit. They use it literally as a currency. They're not holding it for anything other than that. One of which is Tap Jets out of Houston. You can rent a private jet. And paying XRP right now. A huge amount of Ripple's business is remittances. One such company is called iRemit. They filed and got accepted for Amicus. Spend the Bits, one of the most interesting ones. Spend the Bits actually sends and transacts Bitcoin over the XRP ledger. So it breaks Bitcoin into teeny pieces sends it with the lightning speed of the XRP ledger and you get your Bitcoin faster on the other side. Amazing. And of course, the amicus John Deaton, who who is the one who filed the case, has 75,000 plus and counting people, 75,000 plus holders who signed up his case joined his lawsuit and said, yes, I didn't even know of Ripple be when I bought XRP. I'm just buying this token. I never, I don't know where it came from or what. Someone told me to get it, whatever. Many of them have even signed affidavits, signed notarized affidavits saying, yes, I did not even know of Ripple when I bought it. So this proves I'm not depending on them. I'm just getting this token because I heard about it from somewhere else. Another thing, Bill Hemmen, who was the director of enforcement at the SEC, he gave, dun dun dun, in 2018, he gave a speech. With He gave market guidance, he gave a market guidance speech in 2018, referencing to only one token, Ethereum, and said, I think it's this. We decided it's decentralized. We know they had an ICO and raised money to build their company. 
We know they did that. We're just going to set that aside. Literally said that. We're just going to set the set aside that they sold some and made money. Let's just let's just forget about that. They have enough nodes. They're decentralized. We think they are not securities. Mic drop. This is out of nowhere. Or so it seems to the public. What? America just declared a token not a security. It's got a legal free pass or an implied legal free pass, which means you won't lose it or get in trouble from having it. Boom. Price explodes. It explodes since. Never has the SEC given clarity. To this day, there's no rules. There is no clear rules. They're avoiding every question. They won't comment on any other token. This speech got dropped, passed, boom, and they avoid every question since. Interesting, right? You say, oh my gosh, that sounds kind of crazy. Well, it is kind of crazy. Of course it's crazy. Of course it's not coincidence. So we're going to go back in time. So that speech was in 2018. In 2016, now it's time to go down memory lane. In 2016, good old JP Morgan. If you know anything about JP Morgan and the Federal Reserve, do some homework. There's some good books. I will put a link to a book explaining how JP Morgan helped create the Federal Reserve, the Bretton Woods Agreement, and how they basically own a massive portion of our country. So good old JP Morgan created an Ethereum Enterprise Alliance with a company called Consensus. They built a, built a protocol on Ethereum called Quorum. Consensus buys Quorum from JP Morgan in 2020, B, I mean in 2018, before the speech. So Ethereum built a chain specifically for JP Morgan. A separate quote unquote company consensus buys it from JP Morgan so that JP Morgan doesn't, hey, hey, I don't own it. I sold that thing. I don't know where that came from. That's crazy. Who would have made that? I don't know. It's this, this other place, you know, they have it now. I've got nothing to do with it. So Consensus now owns Quorum, which is really owned by J.P. Morgan. And of course, J.P. Morgan says, hmm, or we're assuming, but we've got a lot of facts to go through. They say, oh, well, now that we're basing everything off this Ethereum, and I need all the big banks to use it, especially me. I'm J.P. Morgan. I'm going to eventually make J.P.M. coin. I need some clarity because I'm about to you put all of my big money clients into it. I can't just do that without clarity. Come on, they'll get mad at me. I need our government to get a pass. You got to make this happen. So how do we do this? So they create an alliance. Let's all align to get Ethereum a free pass. Let's use our government and find a way. All right. So that was in 2016. That eventually becomes Onyx, O-N-Y-X. JP Morgan now has Onyx, which they launched officially in 2020, 
but had been building it since 2016. This is only for institutional clients, big money clients, not for regular average Joes to this day. You can just go to the website and see, oh, yeah, we got it. Are you institutional? I got you. Government says it's cool. Bring me the dollars. Okay. So now let's let's go up and what let so John Deaton, who sued back the SEC right after they sued Ripple, put a timeline together and has this massive thread, which is one of the most shared threads that he has. And it literally is called just search, these are the facts and they are not in dispute. Many people have talked mad smack and no one dares go on a podcast and dispute him in person because these are facts and they're not in dispute. They can be proven. People act like we don't know what the internet is. There's videos, there's audio recordings, there's PDFs, there's documents, there's screen grabs. Evidence is there. All right. So here's, I'm going to read through his epic thread. This is the timeline of what led up to this market changing speech. In the background, before this happened, here's how it went down. Should put some like cool music. Doo, doo, doo. Maybe I'll weave that in. That's the music for now. My goofy voice. Okay. Let's go. March 23rd, 2017. So Jay Clayton, the SEC chairman, he agrees to recuse himself from voting on any matter related to his law firm, Sullivan and Cromwell's clients. So he says, all right, uh, I'm going to just dip out. I'm going to not allow myself to do anything vote on anything with Solomon and Cromwell. I'm not, it couldn't be me. If anything happens, I did not, I'm not any part of it. All right, that's in March of 2017. November 30th, 2017, Joseph Lubin, one of the creators of Ethereum and Consensus, they announce the Brooklyn Project. The next month, December 13th, 2017, Bill Hammond has a meeting with Lubin and Consensus and lawyers from Sullivan and Cromwell, which is at the time Jay Clayton's law firm. The next day, December 14th, Matt Corva of Consensus, he brings a bunch of lawyers with him from Sullivan and Cromwell, and they state they are building an alliance with the SEC. They state that. The very next month, January 25th of 2018, Jay Clayton meets with Andreessen and Horowitz and instructs them to put together a group and write up a memo. Law firm Perkins Cooey, a member of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, leads this group of Ether investors. A couple months later, while they're working on the memo, the CEO, Brad Garlinghouse, speaks publicly about Ripple using XRP to replace SWIFT. A week later, March 26, Perkins Coie sends Hinman the memo they've been working on and a safe harbor proposal. And in that safe harbor proposal, the only crypto asset mentioned is Ethereum. Two days later, Ethereum investors meet secretly 
with Bill Hinman asking for a regulatory free pass from the SEC. April 19th, 2018. The meeting is leaked, and Nathaniel Popper reports Ether investors seek a non-security designation from the SEC. There's actually video recordings of this meeting, which you can find on YouTube. April 13th, 2018. The SEC meets again with Lubin and Consensus. Mind you, there's supposed to be no third-party promoter speaking with the government. Right? All right, next month, May 10th, 2018. On Liz Clayman's show, Charles Gasparino, thank you, Charles, for all your hard work. He reports the Brooklyn Project and Consensus, along with... Joseph Lubin, are working closely with regulators to create a self-regulatory body being quote-unquote sanctioned by the SEC. The Brooklyn Project attempts to correct Gasparino's report. Hey man, you can't be saying that. That's, you can't, don't tell anybody we're doing this. But Gasparino is awesome. He rebukes this attempt and tweets out, he knows what he was told by Andrew Keyes about the SEC. May 12th, 2018, Lubin says he is making great strides with regulators. That's a quote. May 24th, 2018, Rubin claims he can issue tokens in ways detailed in Hinman's speech. Dude, the speech hasn't happened yet. Do you see what's happening here? Okay. June 5th, 2018. Mike Novogratz, Google this, goofball. He's close buds with Joseph Lubin because they were roommates. So they're buddies. He says he will bet, quote, dimes to donuts. The SEC will declare present-day Ether not a security. He said that on video nine days before the speech. Nah, nobody knows about it. The, the government's not talking to anybody. This is private research, right? Right. Novogratz also predicts the SEC will soon pick a token and go after it, as in try to take it down. This speech was attached to 63 emails. We now know it's 64. This is an old tweet. June 8th. 2018. Consensus meets again with the SEC, and Lubin says the market needs the SEC to scare certain projects away. June 13th, 2018. A memo analyzing whether XRP is a security is passed among the SEC staff, and the SEC refuses to turn it over because it's likely inconclusive, it's a security. This at the time, uh, just mind you, this initial tweet was from October 2021, so new, new facts have come to light. All right, June 14th, 2018. The Hinman speech. Man, June 14th, 2018. Write that down. Hinman's speech, which declares, quote, putting aside the fundraising of Ethereum's ICO, Ethereum is not a security. After Hinman, I mean right after, 
Lubin appears on the same stage, claiming he, I, I wasn't able to read through Bill's entire speech and asks if Hinman, quote, spoke about XRP at all. The moderator responds that XRP was not mentioned and Lubin replies, that's interesting. That's pretty sick, huh? That's, sna- that's the snakiest of the snakes. Man. June 26. Brad Garlinghouse note, notes, Coinbase announced it is listing... Uh, it's listing ETC two days before the speech. So Coinbase lists Ethereum two days before the speech. Lubin tells... I don't know who at the domino is. I should know that. He believes XRP is massively overvalued. Now we're in July, July 6th. Lubin says, quote, I drove lots of the legal work. We got a piece of paper in our pocket before we actually launched the token sale. They had a piece of, he had a piece of paper in his pocket in 2014 before he sold ethereum to raise money to build out the network ah we all oh man we really want to know what that piece of paper he had in 2014 was we all like to guess it's a little note from jamie diamond that says hey i got your back don't worry august 19th 2018 Lubin praises the SEC and claims it has given pretty pretty high quality clarity regarding crypto. I'm going to say they're doing a great job. Those dudes, super awesome. Pat on the back, guys. You guys are just doing your thing. Such, such great work, everybody. Good work, everybody. Even on the floor, too. Everybody out on the floor, great work. Okay. Let's see... October 10th, 2021. Lubin adds, he just keeps adding. He adds that Clayton indicated they wouldn't be grandfathering anybody in and that the securities law issues are pretty close to resolved. Of course, that contrasts Lubin's claims with Hester Peirce's criticism regarding the lack of clarity in 2018 that obviously still exists today. This is why this case is such a big deal. Same year, September 17th, Lubin warns of a reckoning coming from the SEC for, quote, certain projects. I don't know who it could be. I'm just saying they're going to get gonna get smacked. Week later, September 26th, Gary Gensler describes XRP as a currency in the banking sector. October 15th, 2018. Lubin says he escaped Ethereum being an unregistered security by creating a reality through words. He said, I can create my own reality. He literally did. Created the reality, wrote it down on paper, and had our governments say it. Amazing. October 28th. Nancy Wojas who participated in the secret meeting in March, she actually disagrees with him in that Ether is sufficiently decentralized to not be a security. Wendy Moore, 
of Perkins Coie adds, well, if they're decentralized, then why isn't Ripple? January 19th, the next year. Lubin, oh, we love Lubin, not love him. He says, quote, we are big friends and fans of the SEC. He says the SEC has introduced a new construct called decentralization. I wonder where they got that from. Into their thinking, and Bitcoin and Ether aren't securities, and he states they have not said the same about other tokens like XRP. He really just pinpoints his biggest competition, which is just better. Are you feeling the vibes yet? Are you getting it? All right. Uh, Then Lubin claims to know. He literally claims to know. The SEC is not going to find any other tokens other than Bitcoin and Ether to be decentralized, dropping Hinman's name as his source of information. And then Coinbase goes on to meet with the SEC and informs them that they have run XRP through their, their securities framework because they want to list it. March 26, uh, double print that page. My bad. Printed it twice. Skip, skip, skip. Okay. June 19th, June 19th, 2019. Okay, here's where it gets, it's all juicy. In June of 2019, Ripple buys a 9% stake in MoneyGram with the SEC's full knowledge that Ripple will transfer XRP to MoneyGram for cross-border payments and that MoneyGram would likely sell XRP in the secondary market to holders with no connection to Ripple. They were not stopped. September 12, 2019. Nancy Wohas admits, quote, most of Hinman's speech was lifted from the investor's proposal and, quote, meetings that we had that were led by Andreessen Horowitz and Perkins Coie. No kidding. September 2019. Lubin admits that at Ether's launch, we knew we needed to put out something that we knew was not scalable. Crazy. We know we're selling you something that's going to get replaced. We just need to raise money. Can everybody be cool? I'm just raising money. It's not a big deal. It'll be worth. It'll you know. It's going to change. August 2020. Okay, now we're going back to here. So in August of 2020, Consensus acquires Quorum. And Lubin says his Quorum's acquisition, he buys Quorum that he built for JP Morgan, mind you, that the acquisition offering is an interbank information network similar to what SWIFT does and adds that Consensus supports, uh, I know, coincidentally, Consensus supports J.P. Morgan's own stablecoin, J.P.M. coin, which, no surprise, is a direct competitor to Ripple and XRP. October 6th, 2020. Lubin admits he has, yeah, he admits he has a regulatory advantage and claims Bitcoin and Ether arrived before regulators were paying attention 
And we were fortunate enough to frame our token as a utility token. He says all altcoins are spectacularly disadvantaged when compared to Ethereum. That's an amazing quote. October 2020, One River, which Jay Clayton went to, they take their $1 billion bet on Bitcoin and Ether. The next month, November 20, November 20th, Vitalik, there he is, good old Vitalik Buterin states, quote, we are getting rid of the network's proof-of-work mechanism and replace it with one entirely based on proof-of-stake and admits it's still a leap you know, of faith that people have to take. This was back in November 2020. If you pay attention, everybody knows when Ethereum moved to proof of stake. Okay, December 22nd, 2020, the big day. We've made it. Walking out the SEC's door, Jay Clayton votes for and directs the case against Ripple, his client's competitor, claiming all XRP sales for the last seven and a half years constitute investment contracts with Ripple including all secondary market sales with zero connection to Ripple. Clayton immediately goes to One River. He starts pushing Bitcoin and Ether. And at the and at uh, Bill Hammond was still at the SEC as he collected fifteen one five million dollars from this law firm, which is a board member of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, and is now a partner of Andreessen's $2.2 billion crypto fund. Remember, they're the ones that all worked to put that little speech together. These are the facts, and they are not in dispute. Now, that's how the case got dropped. That's the background of it. Okay, so... What's going on now, you ask? Let's see. It's still going on. And I will jump to these. So while it's all, all has been happening, the XRP community, with all of its amazingly intelligent and smart researchers and internet sleuths, have begun fighting back by digging for this information. This is a massive joint collection of people fighting back. You can see the deep level of corruption that no one would ever have no one would ever know about and most don't know about. And you know, we know it's being attacked because it's a better product. It's a better operating product. It works better. It works faster. But it's not tied in with JP Morgan. It's it's outside of it. So it has to fight its way in. And that's why it's being fought and held back. Um, in our opinion, in many people's opinion, it just it the XRP ledger works efficiently and it threatens the massive sums of money made from the friction of large banks when they move funds around the world. But with the XRP ledger you're seeing in three to five seconds finality for payments globally. I can make a payment to my friend in Nigeria 
in five seconds, and he has the money immediately, and it's done. There's no need for the bank to hold Nostro Vostro accounts, which means they don't. my bank doesn't need to hold money in his bank to give the money to him. It just goes from me to him. The incumbent banks, the big central banks, and everybody getting paid off this friction and charging crazy fees with the SWIFT network or just outside remittance companies that charge multitudes more than what Ripple has created, which is called RippleNet. And they have a product called ODL, which stands for On-Demand Liquidity. And there's such companies. I'll read you a few companies that use ODL. Obviously, everybody outside of the U.S., something like 90 plus percent of their businesses outside of the U.S. I shall name a few. So here's some companies. And by the way, it's gone up year over year. The amount of ODL volume is up to 15 billion this year. And the ODL, the ODL companies are in Australia, France, Brazil, Sweden, Singapore, uh, Abu Dhabi. Some of the companies are Fincy, Flash Effects, FOMOPay, Neom, Novati, Lemonway, Xbot, Travelex, Bitso, People, Tranglo. These comp- what they do is they use XRP as, the ex- as a currency exchange. If, if you want to send US dollars to Mexico really fast for really cheap, you could use Bitso. I could send X amount, and what happens is my dollars goes to Bitso. Bitso trades dollars for XRP in Mexico. XRP gets traded for pesos. Those pesos go into that person's account. All of that happens in three to five seconds. And this is happening all over the world. And that happens for all the banks. Travelex, the central bank of Brazil. Do you know how big Brazil is? It's pretty big. Travelex, which is actually based in London, got up the central bank of Brazil, said, yes, you can use ODL. You can use Ripple's RippleNet software and use XRP to transfer funds to any of Travelex's offices or banks worldwide. That was the first central bank to say, yes, use ODL. Um, so let's see. Okay, so moving over. Now, the emails, those crazy emails, right? The emails that Hemmings circulated before that speech the 64 emails in the court case ripple has been fighting and requesting them the judge has actually ordered them to be turned over six times court orders they did not do it but recently the the general counsel general counsel for ripple's attorney team stuart alderati posted just the other day very exciting Over 18 months and six court orders later, we finally have the Hinman docs, which are internal SCC emails and drafts of that speech. While they remain confidential for now, 
at the SEC's insistence, I can say it was well worth the fight to get them. I've always felt good about our legal arguments, and I feel even better now. I always felt bad about the SEC's tactics, and I feel even worse about them now. That is a public statement from general counsel for an ongoing case. Think he's feeling good? I'm feeling good. That's what I'm talking about. Now, how do we keep, how does somebody like me, little old me, I got a family, I got a job, I try to do some hobbies, I like to ride my bike, all those things. Well, there's amazing, helpful, beautiful people out there sharing and giving information, digging and doing research. Three lawyers are following up on every motion to intervene, every follow-up, every motion of anything that happens within this case. They do updates, they break it down for simpletons like me, and they put it in simple language, and it's great. Um, uh, where am I getting to? Uh, sorry, I'm reading while I'm doing this, where he said that. Okay. All right, next. So they sued. So da, da, da. there's so much going on. There's so much. So you got FedNow is launching 2023. Real, you have a FedNow network is America's version of going digital. They have, I believe, 75 current participants helping with doing real-time payments with digital wallets to transfer funds within the United States first. And then once those tests are going smoothly, we have real-time payments blockchain based in the US, then FedNow will break out internationally. You can look up FedNow, you can look up real-time payments. Um, uh, so really, it's really a lot to keep track of. The and the bottom one of the bottom lines is yes, the SEC sued Ripple. They did not count on what would get exposed. Right after they sued, John Deaton with his seventy five thousand XRP holders sued the SEC back. M Power Oversight, which is a watch watchdog, filed multiple Freedom of Information Acts suing the SEC as well for the conflicts of interest because of Bill Hemmen. All these different companies got accepted by the judges as amicus curiae, friends of the court, proving that there's other uses of the XRP ledger and XRP and is not just a thing you hold waiting for and depending on Ripple to make use of it and for the price to escalate. And these are just a few. There's going to be more. There's others, but these are the bigger companies. It's going to grow. This is going to be our future. If you look up, uh, let's see, where do I have it? For example, when it comes to the the FedNow, you've got Volante, which is a Ripple user with Volpe. You have Finastra, which is a massive blockchain company also partnered with Ripple, there's, there's hundreds in the high hundreds of banks, international banks. One of the main banks in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, QNB Bank. 
You have the Bank of England, obviously Central Bank of Brazil. Um, it just goes on and on. Bank of America has filed over a hundred patents for blockchain, one of which actually has Ripple cited in it. Onyx was released by JP Morgan. BNY Mellon, the oldest bank in America, the biggest custodian, recently allowed custody for its institutional investors. It's open. The biggest and oldest bank in America said, yes, we will custody and hold your crypto. This was unheard of before. But guess what BNY Mellon is? BNY Mellon was one of the very first adopters of Ripple technology. And do you know the first transaction was from QNB to BNY Mellon using Swift Go, which is a new product that just got released. But Swift Go was used, okay, QNB used Swift Go, which is a blockchain-based money transfer system. They used QNB Bank, Swift Go to send it to BNY Mellon. Now think about this. Just think. QNB literally uses RippleNet. BNY Mellon was one of the earliest adopters of RippleNet. Yes, they use Swift Go. But as soon as this case is over, those two massive banks just connected with each other. And as soon as they can do it for cheaper and move more, faster, which option do you think they're going to use? I'm just saying. I'm just taking a hunch. Just a guess. I don't know. But if you think it's not going to... Your banks... Uh, there's already been articles and proof that uh, banks are filing for master key for master keys so your banks will have master keys and those master keys will hold your private keys and then your banks will begin custodying all your crypto they want to bring it all back in house they are going to do whatever it takes we'll hold the keys we'll safeguard it you don't want to take care of that stuff at home hey average joe don't stress yourself you, you know how hard it is to hold all that money in your, in, in your house and it's very confusing and what do I do with it? I don't know. We'll, we'll hold it for you. They go back to doing bank as usual. Just they're doing whatever it takes to get it back in the system. Okay. That, is, that, is that not the case? Well, as I'm preparing to do this recording, as I'm preparing, I open my browser and the very first article from Forbes today at 8 p.m. on October 25th, 2022. The Biden administration wants to make it easier to seize crypto without criminal charges. Say what? If they can't get it legally, as in if you're not voluntarily giving us all your money yet, we're just going to come take it. We need the money back. It's all normal people are pouring money into decentralized finance and cryptos, and it's not going into the big banks. So they are going to unload every ounce of ammunition they have to get it back in, even to the point of where they can just come and take it with literally you doing nothing wrong. So, let's read a little bit from this, argue, this, this article. 
from today. This is crazy. The contributor is Nick Sabia. Buried deep in a 61-page report by the U.S. Attorney General, the Biden administration called for a dramatic expansion in the federal government's ability to seize and keep cryptocurrency. If it's enacted, the proposed changes would bolster both criminal forfeiture, which requires a conviction to permanently confiscate property, as well as civil forfeiture, which doesn't require a conviction or even criminal charges to be filed. Do you hear what that's called? Oh, it's just a civil forfeiture. Oh, that's a calm. That's a calm way for you to steal my stuff if you call it civil. I'm going to civilly rob you. I, I, I didn't just I, I didn't rob you. This was a civil thing. I was very calm when I came to your house with the policeman, with the gun, and I said, "Give me your ledgers. Give me all your crypto now." What? Yeah, that's what that's literally what he wrote in this report. Going on. Notably, the report's release was coupled with the announcement of a new digital asset coordinator network. This nationwide network is staffed with more than 150 federal prosecutors who will be trained on, quote, drafting civil and criminal forfeiture actions. I need you guys to write up some letters that says, we're coming for everything you got. We have to keep you guys poor or just let us have all your money. Quit trying to keep your money. We're coming after it. And you could tell I added that part. So back to the article. Due to crypto's synonymous nature, it's sometimes assumed to be immune from government confiscation. But the reality is quite different. Last year, the U.S. Marshals, custodians for the Justice, Justice Department seizures, managed 200 seizures worth $466 million. Not bad. Oh, but since 2014, FBI, Secret Service, and Homeland Security Investigation, aren't they supposed to be protecting us from bad people and terrorists and criminals? No, you know what they did? They collectively seized $680 million worth of crypto with hundreds of active investigations involving digital assets. And they also, the IRS criminal investigation confiscated a staggering $3.8 billion in virtual currency. Okay, some are bad guys, but they're coming for you who hasn't done anything wrong. This is just a stepping stone. Nevertheless, the Justice Department argued that crypto has, quote, now listen to this, quote, revealed limits on the forfeiture tools used by federal law enforcement and recommended, quote, several updates to existing law. First, the Attorney General wants to broaden the most abusive form of civil forfeiture, which occurs without any independent or impartial judicial oversight that means we can just walk up to your house and say give it up what are you gonna do what are you gonna do give it up under administrative or non-judicial forfeiture the seizing agency not a judge this agency decides whether a property should be forfeited the government can use 
the administrative forfeiture to take almost anything valued at more than 500000 But you know, most people don't have 500000 So guess what? The attorney general wants to lift the $500,000 cap for crypto and digital assets. This would eliminate one of the very few limits on the forfeiture. Even if Congress refuses to act, thanks to a law enacted last year, by the way, the Secretary of the Treasury could simply end the cap by adopting new regulation. This proposal is deeply concerning. Administrative forfeiture provides shockingly scant protection. This is crazy. After seizing your property, the government need only send a notice. Hey, after I stole your stuff, I'm going to give you a letter. And if you don't, if, you, if the owner fails to quickly file a claim for your own stuff, it's automatically forfeited. Um, I'm going to take a leap and say that letter doesn't come till after it's past the window for me to keep my own stuff that you just stole. I don't know. I'm just taking a guess there. This is crazy. So I'm not going to read this whole article, but just go to Forbes and search Biden administration wants to make it easier to seize crypto. Huh. And people say there's a conspiracy and it's all made up. And what do you think's happening? Well, a huge shift in the world is happening. And if Ray Dalio says it's happening, if you follow the cycles of monetary currencies and their control and their dominance and what's the reserve currencies and the cycles that he put on his videos and all the homework and information he's put in his books, I'm going with the billionaire. I'm listening to him. He's much more researched and more well-read than me. So do with this information what you will. But I'm just happy I can get all this information out of my head because all of it is just floating around and I'm happy to share it with you. I hope I wasn't too boring and you're able to follow with me. Um, and now, something... Well, oh, so before we move on. So yes, the case is still pending. Summary judgments are in. All the final reply briefs have to be submitted by November 15th of this year. Then we all sit and wait for Judge Netburn and Judge Torres to decide where this case goes. And of course, there's always a possibility of a settlement, but Ripple has already stated several times it will only settle if ongoing and future sales of XRP are declared non-securities. Period. End of story. Which is what we all want. Clarity. Rules. Now, that was fun. That was awesome. Thank you for letting me share all that. That's a massive follow-up. Again, if anybody has already been following this, I'm sure you skipped it. But if you're new to this, you know, hope it opened your eyes a little bit as to what's going on. Now, for fun, to end on a interesting note because you know it's not all about that 
I recently picked up a book from uh, one of our friends, his second book, The Poet Abdul Ismail. And this one is a lot shorter. It's less poems than his last book. And I'm going to read one that kind of stuck out to me. I like his style. A really cool thing about this book, it's called A Blue Kiss, Sealed with the Keys. Uh, the spacing of the words is all over the place. I love that he followed no, there's literally kind of no rhyme or reason to the spacing and placement of the words on the page. Sometimes it's even hard to tell if I'm, am I supposed to read sideways? Am I supposed to read straight down or which row? Or it's just, it's all spaced out. Just, you know, sometimes have patterns, but sometimes it looks as if there's an order, but I don't know which order. So it's just really interesting. It's the first time I've ever seen someone just kind of space things out in a totally unique way. So this poem is called Rated Z. You don't, com you don't connect with me because it's impossible for you. You don't relate to an experience with me that can be dignified you don't connect with me because your past interactions with my gender have not gone well. They have been poisoned by actions fueled with bile. You don't connect with me because you don't feel the need to discover the value of the space between us, which is minimal in your mind. That's your right, inalienable, invaluable. I'm aware of my privilege. I am aware that in order to deconstruct it, I must listen without expectations of a partnership desired by one with levels undefined. Once we both know this, I'll move on. Understanding that the need for you to love must go through your own journey, one where preferences of your own heart and ambitions decide. Even society's Prescribed laws mixed with geneticisms demand that I chase you within reason with clever plotting, conducting with sticks of innuendo after that pull of endo. Six puffs before the pass, six breaks from your cheeks, feeling that our ability to connect is just chance. It meant nothing because we live nowhere peppered with circumstance as the axis spins one way. You think that you will find the end point of your road to redemption in the land of nothing. Rather than desire to enter a brave new world above this nether world where everything is a footprint to hell. According to everyone, including the voice from the pain in your elbow, Woken from the flex of your tricep. Harmony, felt in our bones at times, does not exist. In an environment built for deception, we know this. We march against this lie perpetuated as truth. In our systems, in our cities, in our relationships, with solids, liquids, and gases. But we quit a lot because the days of pure justice are a long time ago, if they ever existed. We imagine because lies are long 
past our reproduction. Take six. Thank you, Abdul, for another amazing book of poems. I'll put a link to that. And thank you all so much for hanging. If you are even still here, thank you very much. And we will have a guest coming Sunday, so that should be fun. So I should talk to another person. You'll get to hear another voice. Thank you so much. Be healthy, y'all. Oh.